John chapter 3, and if you'll remain standing for me, that would be a blessing. 1 John chapter 3, as we continue our summer prophecy series, and uh, we touched on several things specifically. As I've said, though, as far as prophecy goes, we can learn all of the details that God gives us in the Word of God about things like, we're talking again today, His return and the rapture of the church like we talked about last week. But the information of those events and all of the details of those events are really useless to me if I don't live in light of them. So I can talk about the end of times. I can talk about all the prophecy in the Bible. But there's a reason that God gives us the words that he gives us or the details of his return and the end of all things. is because everything is going to end for us. And there's coming a day when we won't have a day or time to labor anymore. There won't be any more opportunities for us to show God how much we love him in this world. Does that make sense? And so when we go through these, we're trying to be as practical as we, prof- as we uh, possibly can. And today I want to talk about the purifying hope that John writes about. And he mentions several things. And we're going to look at those today in First John chapter 2. And we're going to begin at the end of the chapter, down in verse 28. First John chapter 2, and notice down, if you will, with me in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his what? At his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold. I want you to look at this. That's what behold is. is I'm calling your attention. You could call it a, an inspired flare gun. Okay? He really wants you to get a hold of this. So he's writing this to Christians like us. And he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew, it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, that is Jesus, is pure. Verse 3 again, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'd bless your word. I yield myself to you again. And I ask that you would please fill me with your spirit. In fact, God, will you please help me to get out of your way so that I could clearly speak your word today. I pray that you would just have liberty here. And I plead the blood of Christ on our property. I ask that you'd bind Satan in his henchmen and that you would keep him far from us, from taking the pure word of God and from snatching that good seed and distracting us. Lord, may our minds be fixed on you, that you may give us the peace that we so desperately need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. The Apostle John and his brother were two of the early disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that John is known in Scripture as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that's not to say that he didn't love all of his disciples, but We're not told why John is necessarily given this title, but we do know that 
that really means Jesus had a very special relationship with John, and it was different from the other ones. By the way, you can have a special relationship with Jesus today. You could have a closer relationship than your former self did yesterday or the prior. But anyway, a little earlier in this open letter to believers, John announces to all of those who would be saved a call, really, a divine call for Christ-like living And that's found in verse 6 of chapter 2. If you'll go back with me just a page or so. The Bible says in 1 John, oh, I went back too far. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So he brings this up again in chapter 3 and verse 3. And and we see this call for divine-like or Christ-like living. And he really goes on from that verse on. And he goes on in the following verses with incentives as to why. Why is John saying this? Why is he repeating it? And he gives the reasons. One, because the world has nothing to offer you that will last. He says that in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And because what the world does have to offer you will only lead you away from Christ. For all that is in the world, the love of the Father is not in the world. All right? So the world passes away, but the will of God is going to be done forever. And so he, he, he sets this up in a very beautiful way. By the way, it's also because Jesus Christ is coming again. So he said, look, there's a reason that you should walk even as he walked. There's a reason that you should purify your life even as he is pure. And he shares with us these reasons. Now you understand then from this passage of scripture, not just in John, but as we've also seen from the apostle Paul and from others, the central to the hope of salvation, very key to the hope of our salvation, is the confident assurance of the Lord Jesus' return. He wrote about it and tuned his heart to the truth. In John chapter 14, this is the same writer. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. You understand that? Let's say those words together. Ready? I will come again. Jesus said, and receive you unto myself. Why? That where I am, there ye Maybe also you kind of get the idea that Jesus wants to be where we are. You kind of get the idea that he's saying there, listen, I want you to know I'm here now, but I'm going, but I am going to come again. Revelation chapter one and verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, by the way, who was written by the same apostle, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and he signified it by his angel Unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and he that hear the words of this prophecy. Listen and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. I want you to understand with all that was revealed to John concerning the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and his return and the end of all things. He chose here in the third chapter of this very first letter to write about a purifying hope. Verse 3 of First John chapter 3. And every man that is saved. Every man that hath this hope. What's the hope that he's talking about? He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about what comes because of salvation. Jesus return. Jesus return for him. And every man that hath this hope in him purify himself. 
even as he is pure. Now, why did he write that? He indicates that knowing that Jesus is coming again should affect our life. And he calls it a hope. I want you to notice three radical reasons why John chose to purify his life in light of this hope. Number one, because he didn't want to be ashamed at his coming. He knew that Jesus was coming again. He had that promised assurance. The Bible word is hope, but that's not our word for hope. The Bible assurance, uh, the Bible word for hope is I know that he's coming. I'm staking my claim on this. I can stand firm that I know that Jesus Christ is returning. And when he comes, because we don't know when that is, I don't want to be ashamed of myself. Look at verse 28 of chapter 2. And now little children abide in him. That word is rest or dwell deeply. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, there's going to be two ways that people are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to rapture the church. It's either going to be ashamedly or confidently. The Bible says at the very end of the verse that we shall not be ashamed. Before that, it says we should have confidence, that we may have confidence. Now, remember, nothing is more sure than Christ's return. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. How many believe that Jesus is coming? The Lord Jesus is coming again. Letter A, Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, how can we be really that sure? How is John so sure? Well, since you brought it up, we have the promises of Jesus himself. We read that in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus promised. Now, wait a minute. Jesus also promised, if you call on my name, I will save you. He said, if you'll repent and trust me, I will save you. And he gives these promises over and over. By the way, lo, I'm with you always. That's another promise, even to the end of the world. All of these promises, but in the middle of all of them, at the end of his life, he says, listen, I want you to know I'm coming again. I promise you. Now, are you really that sure of it? Because if you're that sure of it, it should affect your life. We have the promises of Jesus. Secondly, we have the assurance of angels. In in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Even the angels testify to the disciples. Yes, Jesus is coming again. We have the promise of the Lord Jesus himself. But we also know about his, uh, his assuring coming that it will be when we least expect it. In Matthew 24 and verse 44, therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. It's when we least expect it. It's when we're going throughout our day. And by the way, if I'm going throughout my day confidently in Christ, I'm going to be confident at his return. If I'm going around sneaking behind people's back and I'm divining my own way of life and I'm doing things that are opposed to God, it is return. I won't be confident. I'll be ashamed. How many of you have ever been caught by your parents doing something? And you were like, oh. And the first thing was, I'm ashamed. Hopefully it was I'm ashamed. If it was not after your spanking, hopefully you were ashamed. All right. I remember my son, when I first came here, I was not the pastor of the church and I remember my son was caught in my office when I was not in there setting fire underneath my desk to straws with the pastor's son. And I remember after he got caught how ashamed he was after he figured out I probably shouldn't do that ever again. 
he got caught unexpectedly. Uh, I remember when it was a men's barbecue and he was out playing in the charcoals and the gentleman in charge of the barbecue caught him and took the the uh, spatula and whap, swatted him on the bottom and he turned around and he was caught unexpectedly. You know, that's kind of the way Jesus is going to come. Unexpectedly. And I will either be caught confidently living by faith or I will be caught ashamedly living in sin. So listen, the Bible says, and now little children abide in him. Don't walk away from him. Rest in him. Trust in him. Your life is going to be different, not just now, but when he shall appear. That's the next words. And when he shall appear, that we may have confidence. He didn't want to be ashamed. It's going to come when he least expected, and it's assuredly coming. Letter B, he's coming very quickly. Yes, it's unexpected, but it's going to be very quickly. We learned last week in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, it's going to be in a twinkling of an eye. Now, we know by cartoons and Disney and things that, bing, it comes off of an eye or whatever. The really is talking about as fast as you can blink, Jesus is coming again. That's pretty fast. Now, I want you to hear me. There will be no time to stop what you're doing, which means you'll be in the middle of it. Some, because of that, are going to be ashamed because they'll be caught in the acts of sin. Some people will have their minds captivated by wicked thoughts. Some people will be planning their next sin. They'll be thinking about it. Others will be doubting God's goodness because of the trial. And Jesus is going to appear. Others will be doubting his sovereignty. They'll be doubting, look, if this is all what this world is, how can God say that he's possibly in control of everything? They'll be doubting his providence. I don't know how God could possibly provide. We've got to figure this out. And he's going to come just like he said he was going to come. Some will doubt his power. Some will be speaking words that grieve the Lord. And then all of a sudden he's going to appear. The trumpet of God is going to sound. And that's all, folks. It's going to happen like that. Look, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Take the holy, holy, holy God Almighty's word for it. I'm not making this stuff up. God is real. Sin is real. And God says, I'm coming to get those who are mine. And it's going to be when they least expect it. And John said, I don't want to be ashamed. I I want not just the salvation and the love of God to change me, but I want the fact that I don't know when he's coming to change me. Some could call that the fear of the Lord. The reverence for the fact that that holy God that saved me, and I'm I'm so thankful that he did. And if that's not enough to change me, if that's not enough to purify my life, I want the fact that he could come and catch me doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Purify my life. He didn't want to be ashamed. The word purify means to consecrate. It means to abstain from the unholy. It means to cleanse and to purge. And John wanted to live a pure life because he didn't want to be ashamed should the Lord return at any moment. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these precious promises, dearly beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
Second Peter chapter three and verse fourteen. Wherefore, my I'm sorry. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot, blameless. See, Peter was like, look, the fact is, in the same context, Jesus is coming again. If we know this, it should affect our lives. John chose the purity of life because he didn't want to be ashamed when Jesus came back. Secondly, he chose it because he appreciated his position in Christ. Look at chapter 3. It's really amazing. I really hope that you do a substantial amount of reading God's word. I really hope that you do. And I would challenge you, for instance, if you decide, say, okay, this week I'm going to read the book of Philippians. I would challenge you that next week you should read it again. Um, if you decide to read, say, the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians or the book of First John and you read it throughout the week, I would challenge you to do it the next week again and the next week again. Because what you're going to find is a flow of scripture and the purpose of the Holy Spirit behind why he's writing. You're going to get saturated with it and you're going to be more helped by it. It's going to take more possession of you than you take possession of it, if I could say it that way. It's going to go through you. Now, I want you to follow the the just the progression here. We started in 28. I don't want to be ashamed. Verse 29 says, look, that's why people do right is because they're born of him. Now, look at verse three, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 again. Behold, he interrupts what he's saying, and he's going to, he's basically saying, I want you to see what this has done to me. I, I want you to see what God in his love has done for me. Behold, <clears throat> notice what it says, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. At the beginning of the summer, my family and I had a wonderful privilege of taking some time together up in montana at the glacier national park and i was bent on taking as many pictures as i possibly could i i, I in fact more than the rest of us and i i got so curious uh one day when i saw jenna was not taking as many pictures and i was like it was kind of upsetting me why am i the only one taking pictures why aren't you taking pictures you don't remember this you don't love our family <laughs> that kind of stuff and i got curious and i said i said jenna why aren't you taking she said and i quote because pictures don't do it justice then she'd go on to tell me that there's nothing that captures an image like the human eye that God made. And even in a picture, it's not the same as it is in real life. Now, even the pictures don't tell the whole story at times then, right? Now watch this. When you read these verses, I get the impression from John that there are some things that go beyond his own description. In other words, he can only write so much. And what he desires is for us to experience it for ourselves. Instead of just reading it in the word and going, wow, John's pretty excited about the love of God. He's pretty excited about being a child of God. He's saying, I can only do so much, but I hope that you get this. In fact, in the first chapter of this letter, it says, we want you to have the fellowship that we have and truly our fellowship is with the Father. It's, it's in the Word. Um, you get the idea that it goes beyond his description that affects his life, that he can't really fully say it. You know, letter A, John couldn't explain God's love. In fact, he kind of said that before, didn't he? For God so loved the world. There just wasn't enough to write that 
wouldn't fill up all the paper and drain all the oceans dry all over the world that could contain what he wants us to know about his love. It almost seems in verse one, behold, what manner of love the father had bestowed upon us. It almost seems like John never got over the fact that God's love was a privilege, not a right. And he was grateful for it. He couldn't really explain why God loved him. Wait a minute. Remember, the apostle whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, Jesus is the one that wrote that. He's the one that gave him the title. He's the one that declared, I love John. Not that he didn't love anybody else, but John just got something about that love that nobody else got. Others could write about it. John lived it. And he said, look, I want you to know, I can't explain it, but I hope that you can in your own life experience what I'm trying to say. Behold, what manner of of love the Father. He doesn't say God. He shows the relationship hath bestowed, has put on us. Behold, it's sad when people today are underwhelmed by the fact that God loves them. (laughs) He loves me. Cool. Let's go have a cigarette. Let's go drink a beer. Let's go do whatever. Look, I'm not saying those things don't keep you out of heaven, but I'm saying if it's just like doing those things and flipping in our life, it's not having the effect. Words can only do so much. God says, I want it here. The Holy Spirit of God hath hath, uh, shed abroad his love in our hearts. That's what God wants. And that's what John wants. And that's what's going to keep us from being confident. Or ashamed at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed. He says, I, I, I don't want to be ashamed, but I want you to also know I'm sure thankful that God loves me. I'm sure grateful. It's sad when people today are underwhelmed by the fact that God loves them. That wasn't John. John couldn't explain God's love. Secondly, John was overwhelmed by God's grace. Overwhelmed by God's grace. John 1 12 again this writer but as many as received him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God we see that here behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we could be or should be called the sons of God is that a big deal to you that you're a child of the greatest king that ever was you're a child of the creator of of all things. You're his child. Oh, you weren't before. You were a child of disobedience, according to the Bible, a child of Satan. And God, by his divine love and amazing grace, said, you can be saved. And the day that you put your faith entirety in Jesus Christ, he gave you the right to come to his throne and plead Abba. I say, you are my father. I am your child. You have the right. God says you have the right to come to me for mercy. You can come to me for grace to help in a time of need. Now come. John was overwhelmed by that gift, by the grace of God, that we of all people should be called the children of God. He seemed to lack the words to express the depth of grace behind the fact that sinners are made children of God. You know, the holy God that we sung about. That we could be those children. And that he was included. I'm a, I'm a child of the king. I not only walked with him. I'm his child. I'm his child forever. I'm overwhelmed by that grace. Not underwhelmed. 
A simple fisherman made to be a child of the Most High God. The position made John grateful, but it also made him committed. Notice number three, or letter C, John wanted to live according to that position. According to the fact that he was so loved, according to the fact that he was so much a child, I want to live according to that position. Being in the position to be called a child of God meant the world to John. He recognized that he wasn't worthy of being a child to the king above all. And his humble awareness of this truth motivated him to live like a child of the king. My father worked for 30 years for Southern California Edison. And he started off, as he would call it, just a grunt, uh, just a groundman who would do whatever the crew needed him to do and hustle tools up the pole and just do whatever the foreman told him. And years after he was a grunt, he did his apprenticeship as a lineman and then became a journeyman. And he did that for years. And then he became a foreman. And he ran crews and set up poles and strung line all over Southern California and, and even up into Central California and from the coast all the way to the border of Arizona. He just, he did it all. He worked helicopter. He, he, he just did it all. <clears throat> and uh, eventually, uh, there were times when uh, he was local and uh, we had a small yard in Hemet before it was moved out to Menifee. And, um, and I would go, uh, he would tell my mom, he would say, babe, I'm going to be in town. I'm going to be over in the corner of uh, Mayberry and Yale. And if you want to come over, you know, or bring Kyle over and just see us for a minute or whatever. And I'd be like, mom, can we please go? And sometimes my mom would say, okay, we'll go. And we'd sit, you know, at a distance and we'd watch and I'd walk up the street or he'd walk over or whatever. And sometimes my mom would say, okay, I'm going to take you over and I'm going to drop you off and I'm going to go run errands and then I'll come back and pick you up. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And the reason it was the coolest thing is because my dad was the foreman. And so when he saw us or saw me drive up, he'd tell me where to stand and where I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't go. And I would go and stand there and all the guys... It didn't matter who they were. They all recognized me. And it kind of made it a big deal that I was on the job. And he'd stand up, my dad would stand up there and run the boom or whatever. And sometimes he'd look over and say, watch this. And he'd do something. I'd be like, that's the coolest thing in the world. That is my dad. My dad running that boom. My dad is holding that pole with, him, with those claws right now up there. And everything is hinging on what my dad does. And, and it was a big deal to me because of who my dad was and he made me feel and the crew made me feel like I was a big deal and I thought it was really important I loved to go watch my dad work I loved it when Southern California Edison asked him to make the company-wide safety video for all of the company and he took he they they got these new trucks called the generals and he took his truck out and and uh, took all of the stuff off of it. And he was, he was hardcore, man. My dad was organized and he didn't take no guff from anybody. And people either loved him or they hated him. The people who were lazy and didn't want to work, they hated his guts. They didn't want to work on his crew. But if they wanted to work and get some work done, my dad was going to get it done. He'd get there early. He didn't want, he wanted to beat everybody there. So everybody was trying to beat Ted to work. And he had his truck all organized. And I remember they, they took his truck and they stripped all of the all of the tools and all the equipment and they put it out and his dad put it in a systematic order and then they took a boom and a camera and hoisted it way up and took this overhead photo shot of all of this equipment all of the truck with everything and and of course you know my dad's truck wasn't dirty right i mean it was to the nines 
all they had silicone back in the day when you used to spray silicone on the tires and make them shine. Remember that, Matt? You put the silicone on it and it was like jelly forever, right? Put silicone on the tires. It was waxed. He had his crew all out there and dad was in the middle of that in this big shot and he brought this huge picture of it home and I was like, wow, that's my dad or better, I'm his son. Now look, that's just my dad. My dad was cool in my eyes. My dad, I was like, man, I'm a Haynes. My dad was chosen to do that. That's a big deal for me, right? Not to anybody else because they're not his son. But to me, it was a big deal. That's what John's saying here. John is saying, I don't know if it's a big deal for you or not to be called a child of God. But to me, it's everything. I am his child So I'm going to live like his child. I'm not going to live like someone else's child. My dad would say, hey, remember when you go to that house, you're a Haynes. So you better act like one. Don't act like a Smith. Don't act like a Keen. (laughs) Don't act like somebody else's child. I have a different standard for you to live by. Do you get my idea? That's what John is saying. I'm a child of God. I'm ambassador to the king of righteousness. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous. You know that everyone that doeth righteousness. Is born of him. First Thessalonians 2.12. That you should walk worthy of God. Who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Ephesians 5.8. For you were sometimes darkness. But now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Ephesians 5.10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather reprove them. Ephesians 5.15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools. But as wise. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. Can I ask you this? What's your motivation to live the way you are? Because John said I have all the motivation I need. He loves me. I can't really explain it. So I'm going to use little words. But wow. He really loves me. And I'm his son. I, I can't I can't capture the picture in words for you like I want you to experience it, but I hope you experience it. Behold, what manner, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What's your motivation to live the way that you live? Is it money? Is it position or preference? Is it for approval? Are are you motivated by God's love to live like the child of the most high? Everybody has a reason for what they do. John said, I'm going to give you my reason. Here's why I'm going to purify my life. I don't want to be ashamed when he comes because he's coming. He told me when I sat before him just the night before he died, he said, I'm coming again. When I was out on the aisle, he said, I'm coming again. I know what they're doing to all of us. We're all dying. And I want to write these words down to other Christians that they could experience the fact that not only Jesus is coming, but he loves us so much. And I don't want to be ashamed because he's coming. And I want to appreciate who I am in Christ. I want to live the right kind of life because I'm his child. Thirdly, he chose to purify his life because he anticipated a personal meeting with Christ. A personal meeting. The Bible says in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Sometimes when we go to businesses and 
you know, whether we're applying for a job or whether we're complaining about a product or a service, we normally get a representative of the one who's running the whole show. We don't normally get the one who's running the whole show. Oh, this is the ship supervisor for whatever. Um, this is the customer service guy for whoever. We don't really get to see or meet the one that's really in charge of it all. We, we, we normally see a representative. Well, the Bible here says in verse 3 that we shall see him, not a representative. Jesus is not going to send a representative to catch away his bride. He's coming himself. <laughs> He's coming himself. And it's going to be personal. We shall see him as he is. Now, I want you to understand, letter A, John knew he would be like him then. He knew it would. We shall see him as he is. The Bible says, for we shall be like him in verse 2, for we shall see him as he is. I believe in, all, in my heart that John longed to see Jesus very badly. Don't you? And this hope kept him pure and ready to see him. You say, how do you know that? Well, Revelation twenty two twenty at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end when John has been, has been told everything that God wants us to know, and we have it, this is what he says. Verse 20, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Now that's Jesus. Those are red letter words in your Bible. Surely I come quickly. Amen. The next sentence is John's word. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. John said, do it. Now would be great. Even so, what is he? What is he? He's anticipating his return. He wants it to happen. Let me ask you a question. In the state of your spiritual life and your mind and heart this second, are you ready? Do you want it to happen? Or are there some things that probably after this message you should be like, you know what? I need to spend a couple minutes down here. I need to make sure I'm not ashamed. I want to be confident. I want to anticipate. I want to see him today. Yes, I am ready. Because we should all be living that way every day. John knew he would be like him. Secondly, John wanted to live like him. Verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. John's desire in life was to live as close to Jesus as possible. And I will tell you that any believer that makes the conscious effort to live close to Jesus will have their life changed. What's going to happen? It's going to purify itself. Because you're living with Christ. You're walking with Christ. Walking with Jesus affects the way that you walk. Well, I just read all the verses that say, walk, 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 walk. First John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. First John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven, which is perfect. Luke 6, 36, be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. You kind of get the idea that the way Jesus is, he wants us to be like. 1 Peter 1, and verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be holy in all manner of your life or conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Now, if you're saved today, the Bible declares that you have this hope in you. 
you're on your way to heaven. By the grace of God, by the way, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Hallelujah for that. If you're a child of the king, you know if you die, you're 100% sure you're on your way to heaven. You also have the assurance or the hope that if Jesus comes while you're still alive, you're still going to heaven. And you're going that quick. And that quick, you're going to be changed. This corruptible must put on the corruption. Right? We talked about that last week. And God says, in light of that hope, things should be different before that hope comes to pass. So I would ask you, how has the hope of Christ's return changed you? Or has it? Has the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the prophecy that everybody wants to know, everybody wants to know the date and the hour. Well, Jesus said, look, you're not going to know that. It's going to come unexpected. If that's the case, how should you live? Well, the Bible says that if you have that hope, that the things that are unholy, things that are opposed to God, things that grieve God, we should be purged from, purified. Many people today live their lives defined by tragedy. They really do. Rape, incest, abuse, murder, some vehicle accident, a loss of a loved one. I could go on. Because they have lived through and had to face tragedy, sometimes at a very young age, the rest of their life is affected dramatically. Sometimes for good, but more often, let's face it, more often than not, that tragedy has changed them and not for the better. They use that tragedy to excuse some of their behavior. Would you agree? That they have something happens to them. They don't think it's fair. They get angry. And the rest of their life has been defined by that tragedy. And they justify their life. They justify what they say about you. They justify how they treat you. They justify how they look at this country, how they look at the world. And, and they could be hell bent and it doesn't matter. It's because if something happened in their life, they have been defined, and that defines them. Just, just go to any prison and ask someone, and they'll say, well, my daddy did this, and my mama did that, and this guy did this, and this is why I... Their life has been defined by tragedy. Rather than this life being defined by tragedy... I'm sorry, rather than his life being defined by the tragedy of being hunted... And persecuted for his faith, John's life was defined and changed by truth. Now think about it. The disciple whom Jesus loved, if he didn't love in return, if he chose to define his life by the fact that he was a son of thunder, by the fact that he was one of the ones that called, wanted to call down fire and destroy these people of Samaria, same guy. We wouldn't have this letter. We wouldn't. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have revelation. At least not by the hand of John. John's life was defined and changed by truth even in the face of rejection. And the question for all of us today is are we ready for the Lord's return? Would we allow such a privilege, such a love, and such a grace to change us, to purify our lives. The Bible says, even as he is pure. Let's take some time this morning.
I want to invite you to examine your life under the shadow of this truth. Jesus is coming again. We're either going to be confident or ashamed. But if you're saved, you're a child of God. And that love, listen, even if you don't love him today like you should, do you know what? It doesn't change his love for you. It never changes. It's unconditional. The devil in the world is who puts conditions on God's love. God never does. He says, I'm going to prove it to you. Before you were ever saved, before you were ever born, I died for you. And I love you the way you are. But the truth that I'm giving you, I want it to change you to be more like me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Heavenly Father, I just want to say thanks for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. And right now, we want to come humbly before you and say thank you for saving us. Thank you for the truth that changes our life. Thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you for your death, for your burial, your resurrection. Thank you for always loving us. Thank you for never giving up on us. And thank you for this word today from 1 John chapter 3. I pray that we would take inventory of our life. And I pray that every heart in here today would do business with you, God, that we would reason together that though our sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. I pray for the one that may be here today, God, that doesn't know Jesus Christ personally. They're not saved. Perhaps today would be that wonderful day of salvation. I pray for the Christian who's been struggling in their life and wondering why it seems like it's so out of control. Maybe, Lord, it's because this hope is not purifying them. They see life as some infinite amount of time. There's another time, another time, another time when I can get things right. And yet, Lord, when you come, there's going to be no time. Everything stops for us. So may we not be found ashamed. Rather, God, help us to be the doers of righteousness so that we could be found confident in you. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'm going to ask as the music plays, I want to ask you to stand with me. And really, that's just for the people as they pray, if they want to come down to this altar and pray. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The invitation's open. If you'd like to come, would you come this morning?